Today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's right. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And these two gentlemen, Ed and Sanford, will bring you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can steal it. You know, we won't come after you, so bring it home. It's our gift to you. No expenses spared. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, when I've had the opportunity to teach here, uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is a fantastic book. Both of the Corinthians are. And I think sometimes we overlook it because it says a lot of hard things. But I'm entitling this uh, series of teachings through 1 Corinthians to Be a Believer. Be a Believer. This book is one of the books that I I first read after getting saved and and just going, wow, I barely understand it, but this is truth. And there's some things in here that, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Because sometimes I think we get saved and we are genuinely saved, but we, we, we need instruction. You know, sometimes things creep into the church that shouldn't be in the church because maybe we didn't know any better. And maybe our lives were just so crazy sinful that the things that aren't so completely blatantly crazy sinful sneak into the church anyway, sneak into our lives anyway, because, you know, we used to be dealing crack on the corner and now we're just cursing. You know, compared to crack, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, And I think that's really sort of the heart in Corinthians is that the church loved God, but they had a lot of sin. They had a lot of things going on that, Really, wow, shouldn't have been going on in a believer's life, let alone in the middle of service on Sunday morning. Um, but tonight's message is called Those Who Preach. Those Who Preach. And although I have a creative job, I'm not that creative when it comes to naming messages, so I just steal it from a verse. So we'll see that that's in a verse somewhere. But this message is called Those Who Preach, because we're really going to look at some things about the office of a pastor and those who share the Word of God and those who teach the Word of God, and some of the things that come along with that. And what I love about the Word of God is that when we go through it uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like we do in this church, we come across every topic. You know, if it were up to me, I'd probably focus on end times and, you know, lovey-dovey messages where no one will get mad at me. And <laughs> Corinthians is one of those books that when you teach through, you kinda, you're glad there's a big pulpit here. Like up at Tony's church, it's a gigantic pulpit. And I've had the opportunity to share this message there, and it was really easy because I could just run out the back door afterwards, you know. <laughs> and I'm 45 minutes away from everybody, so, <laughs> so you know, that's how it goes. But tonight I'm here, so I can't run away, so, you know, so be it. <laughs> but on, the, on that note about Corinthians being a church with sin, on the flip side of that, Corinthians was a church with a lot of potential, a lot of potential. And I think that that's how the enemy works, and that's how the Lord really works. You know, the enemy is just a, a cheap copycat. But that we always have this great potential, and it either goes into sin, or it gets built up into, into good things, into righteous acts. Not to save us, but from our salvation. And I think that each one of us, I know that each one of us, has a ton of potential. Whether you're a little baby like my daughter, or whether, you know, you're an old man. You know, I'm not going to say anybody's name, because I got in trouble when I do that. But... We all have tons of potential, whether we have a minute left to live or we have 80 years left to live. God has tons of plans for our lives. You know, we've been going through Galatians in youth group, and I think it's fantastic because the thought occurred to me that, well, God is eternal, and God can spend eternity thinking about one moment of your life and planning out his perfect will for one moment of your life. So if God can spend all that time thinking about one little moment of your life, don't you want that? You know, don't you want those moments? Because if God spent all the time about it, and we barely think, you know, a minute about what we're going to do tonight, you know, I'm going to go watch TV, you know, maybe God is something better. And I think that that's sort of the picture in Corinthians, that the church was caught up in all this sin, and it was keeping them from what was better. 
but it's a corrective letter, an instructive letter, and it's written in love. And Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and God, that you really are graceful, and you're full of mercy, and like George was praying, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, God. We need your mercy, and we need your grace. So Lord, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that God, you'd forgive our sin. And Lord, you'd really help us not to in some new age way, reach our inner potential, but Lord, that you'd help us to get rid of the things that are sinful in our lives, that we may hang on to those things that are holy and true, and and to be holy as you're holy, God. And I pray that you would instruct us all tonight and help us to hear your heart, because that's what we need, Lord, is your heart. Replace um, our hearts with yours, God, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, the very last time, the last chapter, we looked at idolatry and knowing the living God and being sensitive to conscience. Um, you know, that there's really a difference between an idol and, a, and God. Um, but this week, like I said, we're going to look into the ministry a little bit. I just have a couple questions to start us off, and maybe they won't specifically be answered in the message, but I hope that it really kind of sparks our, our thinking tonight, because if you're not thinking when you come through these doors, I hope you're thinking when we're going through the Word, because one, I'm not going to get everything right. I, I pray and I hope that I have most things right tonight. I mean, Tony will probably take me in the back and whip me a little bit afterwards, but <laughs> not really. Tony's so gracious, I'm just teasing, but really, that when I'm sharing or when you're going through the Word of God or we're going through the Word of God, be thinking, you know, be thinking about what's being taught, be thinking about what we're reading and not just take it as just, no, 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 droning on like, you know, Charlie Brown's mom, but, <laughs> um, but really, what determines success in our mind, in our minds? What determines success? What is the proof of real ministry? You know, ministry gets tossed around a lot. So what's the proof of real ministry? Do you know what you're supposed to do? Do I know what I'm supposed to do? At least for the next 40 minutes, yeah. And why do we take money so seriously? Why do we take money so seriously? Like, really? Let's go on. Let's read the first two verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul says, um, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And we'll stop there. He says, um, you know, am I not an apostle? Well, what's an apostle? You know, I think we looked at this previously. You know, I forget what I've said where, and, you know, people remember things I say sometimes, like, oh, wow, it's kind of scary. But really, an apostle, at least in that day and age, was, it wasn't just the disciples, because Judas was a disciple, he wasn't an apostle, he failed, but it was really, with the Great Commission and with the laying on, with the Holy Spirit came in the day of Pentecost, the guys who were sent out, they were the sent out ones, they were the ambassadors for God who really laid the groundwork for the church. We went from this sacrificial system under the temple and under the law to the system of the church, and this age of grace. And the apostles were, you know, Peter, James, all the disciples. But then it was also Paul. You know, remember, uh, they tried to pick a new apostle by drawing straws before Pentecost. And we never hear about those guys ever again. You know, not that God didn't use them, but they don't have anything written here. But Jesus showed up to Paul on the road, and he knocked him off his horse, and he was blind for three days. Paul gets saved and uh, goes out. And after some years of introspection and time with the Lord in the wilderness, he goes out and does his ministry, writes all these letters, does these mission trips, starts all these churches. Why? Because Jesus picked him as the 12th apostle. 
And now there, there is this idea that the, the, the apostolic gifts were only for that time. And, and I, I agree with that to some degree. That during that time, yeah, there will never ever be another apostle. One who physically saw Jesus like Paul did or the other disciples did. I mean, yeah, Jesus might show up to some guy in Iran and get him saved, but he's not an apostle. You know, no one else is going to write the New Testament. No one else is going to write anything new. You know, the Bible says that even if someone comes with a new, another gospel or a new letter, you know, turn them away, even if it's an angel. So the, the initial apostles are done away with. Now, I think in some degree, you know, you can kind of look at the gift of the apostleship as one who sent out. One who, like Pastor Owen, when he came up here to start this church, Pastor Tony, when he went out to start the church in Bethel, in some sense has the gift of being an apostle, where now they have this apostolic ministry where they are sent out to go plant the church. Now, does that give them the same authority as Paul? Yeah, in, in a sense, you know, they both have the same Holy Spirit. But, you know, if Pastor Tony Schott writes a book, it's, you know, I'm not going to stick it in the middle of First and Second Corinthians, you know. Um, so the apostolic gift goes on to this day. If we're sent out, it's like an ambassador, one who's sent out. But he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Like, that's the proof in the pudding, guys. Like, Paul was out killing the church. He sees Jesus and this bright and shining light and hears this voice, goes blind for three days, and all of a sudden he's now building the church. The guy who was killing the church for God meets Jesus, his whole life has changed, and now he's different. So is Paul not actually Paul now? You know, you know he says also, um, are you not my work in the Lord? Like the fact that your church even exists, isn't that even because Paul was an apostle? and was involved in the Corinthian church and the spreading of the gospel, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Pastor Owen or Pastor Tony, like, are you not here because they teach every Sunday or they started the church or they continue the church and they care for the church? Yeah, you know, we're here as part of their fruit. In the same way he says to them, like, in the middle of this hard letter, like, am I not the one that wrote all this stuff to you? Am I not an actual person bringing you words of truth? You know, I'm saying hard things, but... Don't I have some authority here in the Lord? You know, don't I have some authority even just as your friend or as your pastor? You know? And he says um, that his real credit here is the fruit. It's the fruit. It's them. It's that he's saying, hey, you know, if I'm, not a, if I'm an apostle, what's the evidence of that? Is it that the fact that I got a, a, a white van and I said, you know, Tim Shanley, apostle of the third church on, you know, 4th Street? No, I mean, that doesn't make you an apostle. It makes you somebody with a van with, you know, vinyl decals on it. What the real fruit is then, you know, is, hey, you know, is there a fruit in the life? Are there people coming to faith through Paul? Was this church started through Paul? Yeah. Yeah, he's saying, hey, you guys, you know, if you want to fight with me, aren't you the evidence that, you know, what I'm saying is true? You know, the, the real fruit is the people, their salvation, and their works for God. And you can't fake fruit. Um, you guys ever see, like, wax fruit balls? Like, um, you know, I guess, I don't know, my mom had some around Christmas, but they were like wax, but then they kind of look furry, but they're not, and they're kind of styrofoam, and I was always, I was always kind of interested, you know, that stuff does, didn't make sense to me when I was five, and it doesn't make sense to me now, but I'm sure it makes sense to somebody, because they still make it, so <laughs> somebody's still buying it, but you can't fake fruit, you know, as much as that looks good, it's not fruit, I saw some prank on YouTube where the guy had a bunch of fake fruit in a fruit stand, and he was trying to sell it, and people like didn't understand it at first. But you can't fake it. You know, if you bring home a, a plastic banana and try and eat it, <laughs> you might be able to get it down, but I don't recommend it. But he says, you are the proof. And Jesus says in Matthew seven fifteen, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It seems pretty Captain Obvious, right? But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them, the Lord says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's pretty crazy. There's going to be people who show up on the Lord's doorstep after they die and when the Lord comes back say, hey, didn't we cast out demons in your name? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never cast out a demon that I know about. Know about. You know, maybe that guy in front of me on the highway thought I was possessed with a demon. I don't know, but, but I've never cast one out. And yet these people say they cast one out in Jesus' name. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. He says, I never knew you. So there's people out there doing things in the name of Jesus, claiming to do godly things, writing their names on the side of vans, asking for money, TV shows, having evangelistic outreaches that don't know God. They think they know God, but Jesus says, hey, I don't know you. That's pretty scary. I mean, don't you think Jesus should know everybody? He made everybody. But he says, whoa, I don't know you. So right there we see that just because you're doing godly things and it looks godly doesn't mean that it's godly. And it doesn't mean that it's bearing real fruit. You know, a lot of people can speak to Christianese, but when you get around their life, you go, that's plastic, isn't it? <laughs> Why does this taste funny? You know, it's a little gritty because it's not real fruit. It's not real fruit. You know, there's many false apostles. You know, there are a lot of people who claim but aren't the real thing. My hope and my prayer is that, that we all are, are the real thing in, in our lives because I, I certainly don't want to get to heaven and and Jesus say, I didn't know you. I'd rather him say, hey, I know you, but you got nothing up here than him to say, I don't know you. You're going to hell. But on that note, let's go on. Verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also um, the other apostles. So there's more than just Paul. The brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? You know, what he's saying here is, is that, um, you know, these people, these believers, these people in church and these churches are saying, hey, let's look at Paul's life. You know, he, he, he should have a job. He should do this. He should do that. You know, I'm not going to listen to that message because he took vacation last week. There's people who do that. There's people who do that in Paul's life. You know, I, I can remember... Um, friends of mine and, and pastors I know that people would pick apart every little part of their lives. And now, granted, I think that, you know, if the Lord calls you to be in public ministry, yeah, your life, rightfully so, becomes some kind of fishbowl because your life does need to live up to the standard that, that God holds for it. So there should be definitely open doors and open windows for you to inspect fruit and, and smell what's cooking in there, you know. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people get very picky. Say, oh, do you see the car you just bought? Do you see... The TV he has in his home? I can't believe he has that TV. How much did they pay him? You know, what does he do with his money? Well, how do you know he didn't get a really good deal? How do you know someone didn't give it to him? Or how do you know he hasn't just been faithful for many years and God decided to bless him? You know, we don't know these things, and yet very often we take it face value because for whatever reason we like to sit back and criticize 
we criticize those in office when instead we should really be criticizing ourselves and saying, hey, look what I just bought last weekend. Look what I did on vacation. I haven't been to church in six months. Not that, you know, you have to go to church every week, but it's good. But I think so often we, we point the finger instead of, you know, being introspective. Um, but he says, why are you holding me even to a different standard? He's saying, you know, don't the brothers of the Lord, don't James and all those other guys get to have a wife? Don't they get to get a paycheck from the church? How come it's only Barnabas and I who have to be single? How come it's only Barnabas and I who have to work eight jobs and then get up early on Sunday and teach you guys? Like, why are they holding them to this other standard? You know, and he says here, are, are they the only ones who have a right to take along a believing wife? Like, it said that Peter took along his wife everywhere with him, and I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, a believing wife is so important and so necessary, you know, no matter what it is you're doing in life, you know. Um, there's so many verses in the Proverbs about a, a contentious woman. It's better to dwell in a, house, in a corner of a rooftop or out in the wilderness than with, um, you know, a woman who's got beef with you, brother. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, even when, uh, you know, my wife's not contentious at all. But, you know, when, when I'm in the doghouse because I did something stupid, she doesn't even treat me bad. But still, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I need to deal with it. And I don't know, I, I'm confessing, I guess. I guess the window's open, so smell that. But really, <laughs> really how important it is, especially in ministry, because ministry has so many demands. You know, I, I'm not in ministry full-time. I'm not uh, the leader of this church by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus, and then Tony, and then like 30 other people, and then me. And the point is, is that there's demands. Even in my level of ministries, quote-unquote, you know, I'm up late, I'm, you know, out early, I'm gone all day, I work a job, you know, there's other ministries I'm involved with. And if my wife wasn't on board with that, you know, there would probably be strife at home, you know? And that's just the negative aspect. And on top of that, it's like, when I'm praying about doing something, the Lord speaks to my wife and then gives me encouragement through her. It confirms that, yeah, this is the right way to go. Or no, that was just the pizza from last night. That really it's important to have a believing wife. And, you know, I could harp on that all night, but I won't. But he says, refrain from working. He says, these other guys, you guys cut them a big old fat paycheck. And I have to go work at McDonald's. And then I have to go work at Wendy's. And then I go teach on Sundays. Why do, I, why do you make me do this is what he's saying. And we'll see a bigger picture to that uh, later. But 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 8 says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul's saying we toiled night and day. You know, he worked making tents. He stayed at, like, the leather guy's house. He was doing all these other things to pay for his ministry. He wasn't passing the bucket he wasn't sending out fundraising letters. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But Paul's saying, hey, I didn't want to burden any of you. He's saying, I want to bring the gospel to you free of charge. That's why I work. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not asking you for a paycheck. But then why are you making it seem like I have to work? Why are you making it seem like I would be doing anything wrong by asking these things? But he says, to not be a burden. You know, I think that's so important that, you know, that we're not a burden to anyone in our lives. Um, especially if we're in ministry. You know, if, if any of us are up here and we're saying, oh boy, we're not going to keep the doors open unless you give us money, there's something wrong. Now, on the other side, if we're not keeping the doors open because you guys aren't tithing, then there's a problem, but it's not with us. It's with you guys, or if it's with us, if we're not tithing. But if we're up here, like, harping on it and saying, oh, you have to do it, you have to do it, we're putting a burden on you, an undue burden, because God never said that. God said, hey, go preach the gospel, and get a job. 
you know, I, I work, you know, the other guys work. Um, Tony works, you know, his job is the church, and I'm sure he does a million other things on top of that. But it's like we work because we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be. You know, um, moonlighting. You know, I work my day job, and then my night job is ministry, and I love it. And if that's the way God has it forever, I hope not. But if that's the way it forever, then so be it. You know, it's, it's an honor and a blessing to be in the ministry and to make a demand on somebody so that I can be in the ministry for myself. That's messed up. That's messed up. That's not, that's not why God has it. But it's worth it. It's worth it. But uh, let's look at this verse. 1 Timothy 5.17 It says, Let the elders, uh, that's not just the old guys, it's those who you know, are in leadership of the church, who rule well, you know, that's the, first, that's the first qualification, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And saying that, hey, if people are serving the church, we'll get to it a little bit later, there should be some, you know, recompense. There should be some double honor, whether it's just a high five or whether it's a paycheck or whether it's some sort of stipend or blessing or anything like that. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. And I'm not up here asking for it. I feel weird saying it, but hey, we're in it and you know, that's where we're going through it. So take it as it is. If we weren't going through verse by verse and I just picked this out of the hat, there might be a little something shady there. Um, <laughs> but really, you know, they're worthy of it. You know, uh, the people who get paid in this church, the little that they do get paid or the, the you know, compared to like what a, a yearly salary would be, um, but the lot to what it is is a blessing. You know, it's good. It's good that that happens. But I think also people who are in leadership tend to get double blessings anyway. You know, I haven't bought, I think I bought one outfit for my daughter. It was like an Easter outfit or a birthday outfit or something. You know, my family, my parents, people in the church, you know, they've just blessed us over and over and over again with diapers and clothes and all these other things. So much so that my wife's like been going through all the old ones, figuring out what we need and what we don't, uh, mainly for my sister. But I think it's funny that it's like, you know, the church automatically starts blessing those in leadership. They automatically start helping those out in leadership without even, like, thinking about it. And it's a blessing, I'm sure, to those guys who do it, you know, as it was a blessing to me to do it to others. And I think that, um, not that it should be done in a bribery way or in a way to try and, hey, if I give the pastor this, maybe I'll get that position back on the soundboard. No, you can go work on the soundboard for free. But, <laughs> but really, I think a lot of times, you know, Almost in an undue sense, the pastors get this extra favoritism that, that may or may not be warranted just because they are a pastor and because, rightfully so, you should feel love for your senior pastor. You know, Maybe not for me, but definitely for Tony. Um, that, hey, yeah, they're faithfully teaching you the word of God. Hey, yeah, there, there should be some worth in that. Let's go on. Let's read 7 through 10. <clears throat> whoever goes to war at his own expense and whoever plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? Uh, for, I love Paul because he's always bringing up the law and making it work with grace. But for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is cared, concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt that it is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. And I love that because we see the Old Testament and these laws that they had about rescuing an animal. And I think for so long they got caught up in, hey, let's go get the animal and let's go protect the animal. But the real heart behind the verse, like Paul says, is 
is it oxen God has cared about? Like, is God really up in heaven worried more about the oxen than you or me? Like, yeah, I'm sure God cares for the animals. He made them and there is creation and he told us to, to take care of them to some extent. But is, it, is God writing this verse so that oxen out in the field can read the Bible? No, he gave the Bible to you and me. So it's really for us. So there's really another message here. Uh, Matthew 12 uh, in verse 9 says, Now when he, Jesus, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. They're saying, hey, this guy's got a deformity. He's got a disability. Is it lawful to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Not because they wanted to say, hey, can we, is it lawful? Can we do this? They said, hey, let's see if we can get him so we can get him arrested or stone him or something. But then Jesus said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Jesus said, hey, you know, Fluffy runs outside when you open the door to go to church and Fluffy gets stuck down in that quicksand pit that's at the end of your driveway. I don't know if anyone has that. I hope you don't. But Fluffy gets stuck down there. Don't you go and pull Fluffy out before you go to church? Don't you even maybe go late to church to get Fluffy out? Yeah, I'm sure you do. I mean, unless you're like me and you're like, it's a dog. It should be outside. I'll get you later. <laughs> Just kidding. But then he says to the man, then, then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other awesome then the pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him Uh, but when jesus knew it he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and check this out he healed them all he said hey it's sunday you were you were upset about me wanting to heal one guy i'm healing everybody and that's really god's heart it's not save the trees it's not save the whales save the babies Save the people from hell. You know, there's this ad that my wife saw, and she wants to make a, uh, I guess you could call it a spoof, but it's not really a spoof. But it's this lady painting on this canvas, and she's going nuts with all this paint all over this canvas. And there's this real emotional music, and it's very like, oh, man, what is going on? And there's, like, words over the screen about, like, uh, whatever, you know, things dying and things, real bad, you know, real bad language. Like, not cursing, but say, hey, pulling those heartstrings. Like, this is a tragedy that's going on. She's painting and she's painting and she backs away and it's like a, a Bengal tiger. And at the end of it, you're like, oh, okay, like that was a, a nice commercial. And yeah, you know, we certainly shouldn't be out like just flippantly killing animals just for the fun of it. I mean, unless you're hungry or something, I don't think. But really, it's like all that effort for a Bengal tiger when over 1,300 babies are aborted every year in Orange County, New York, and over that number is aborted every month in Los Angeles County, California. And there's been over 50 million on the books abortions since Roe vs. Wade. And we're worried about several hundred tigers? I mean, really. And not to put too fine a point on it, and not to make uh, an, an overarching stereotype, but I would be curious to see how many of those people who care so much about those Bengal tigers are pro-life. Or how many of them are pro-choice. Just read, you know, Romans 1, and it kind of puts that into perspective. But really, who has God cared about? You and me. He sent Jesus on the cross for you and for me, thankfully. But Paul says, hey, when someone goes to war, do they foot the bill? Like, when you go up and, you know, you go down to the local recruiting office, um, you know, do you go in and say, hey, how much do I have to pay 
to buy an M1 Abrams tank that I'm going to go fight in? No. You say, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> when do I get paid? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You know, you're going to go out and risk your neck to fight for the country, and, you know, for good or for bad. And it's a noble profession, and I family are in it, and I, you know, would think, you know, it would be a good profession in some sense to go into. Um, but really, you don't go in there saying, how much for these boots, Sarge? You know, say, Sarge, can I get a pair of boots in my size at least? You know, you, no one does that. No one goes to war at their own expense. Um, or who plants a vineyard? You know, does anyone in here have a garden? You know, we'd love to have a garden, but we live in a condo, so we have a pantry. Um, <laughs> and we have shop right. Modern times is awesome. Um, but really, do you ever plant a, a vineyard or a garden and go, eh, I'm not going to eat any of it? I mean, even if you're like Sanford, who grows like a million zucchini and gives them all away at the end of the year, I'm sure he eats a couple of them, you know? He's just got a green thumb. But people don't make businesses not to make money off it. You know, that's not entrepreneurship. That's charity work. And even charity workers get paid unless they volunteer. Um, you know, the joke back in the media booth is always, hey, you know, if you take this, sat- this Sunday, you know, I'll double your pay. <laughs> it's really easy to, to double nothing. Um, but really, it says, like, you know, if you were to start a business, why would you start a business? Just for fun? Maybe. But... Really, you're hoping to get a paycheck. You're hoping to be the boss who gets to go play golf, you know, most of the week. Volunteers have other jobs. In the same way, people in church, deacons, elders, pastors, children ministry workers, all of you guys who are part of the church just as much as I'm part of the church or anyone else, all have jobs, I hope. And if we don't, I'm sure you're looking. I'm sure you want a job at least, or at least you want money. Um, or missionaries or parachurch ministries. But I think the point Paul's trying to get here, maybe, is that at some point, doing both becomes too much and actually hinders the service to God. Um, just as much as, like, if your boss asks you to work every Sunday, you know, maybe you'll do it here and there, you know, as a good employee should. But if it becomes every Sunday and you don't ever get to go to church, let's say you can't get to Wednesday night service either, at some point, you're probably going to have to find another job if you want to keep following the Lord because going to church is necessary for your help. It's necessary for you to continue on without getting off track, because not that you need to drink the Kool-Aid, but, you know, you kind of need, like George says, to come up from air now and again. But I think a lot of people say, hey, I just started serving in children's ministry. When do I get a paycheck? I'm going to go quit my job tomorrow, and I'm stepping out in faith, Lord. (laughs) Pay my bills. And a lot of people do that before God's timing, and you end up in trouble. I mean, to be honest, uh, I knew God was calling me into ministry years ago, and I thought it was happening in a little different way, than a very different way than it did happen. And so I kind of quit my job prematurely. And not that I was supposed to be at that job forever, and not that God wouldn't let me go eventually, but for a while there I was out of work, and I you know, was eating spaghetti eight nights a week. You know, it, was, it was a little rough. And then you know, I had some other jobs, and now God's blessed me with a job back in my field, and I've been there for a while. It's been a real blessing, and I love the people I work with, and the job I get to do, but it, it, it covers most of my bills. But at some point, you know, if the Lord has me continuing in ministry, at some point, those two things could conflict. They don't conflict yet, but at some point down the road, they possibly could. You know, if the demands of the ministry that the Lord is asking me to do starts overtaking the demands of my job, it might be time not to not work, but maybe find another job. Maybe find another job, you know. But again, it has to be God-led because the minister should never profit from the loss of the sheep. And who's that? All of us, the church. 
Um, it's fleecing the flock. You know, we hear that, that saying a lot, but it's really, again, it's like I was harping on earlier. If we're up here begging for money to pay our bills because we're unwilling to go get a job the other five days a week or four days a week that we're not doing anything, there's probably a problem there. You know, if the church can't support the leadership and the church is being faithful in what they're giving, then, well, the pastor should work. Like Pastor Owen worked for all those years. You know, worked at the bus garage, chaplain, fire, volunteer firefighter, and all sort of stuff. Because, hey, either the church didn't have the money or he just, you know, it was the right thing to do. But even though you have another job, being a pastor or being someone in full-time ministry, um, it's a full-time job, even if the hours seem part-time. I mean, you may think Tony just gets up 8.45 Sunday morning, that's me, but maybe that's Tony. You know, he comes in, teaches a couple times, goes home, and then plays golf the rest of the week or goes to the beach. No. I mean, Tony does the, the Bible college classes. He does counseling. He does all these other things. Same thing with Drew and anyone else in the, especially in the media ministry. They're here like for four days straight just to get everything ready for Sunday. It's not that long, but it feels that way sometimes. But while everyone else is going out to get lunch, they're just getting started on their afternoon duties. And, uh, and even if that weren't the case, even if it was just, you know, a couple hours, every, you know, every week, being in full-time leadership, full-time leadership, it really, there's the weight of responsibility, you know, to the flock, to their family, and to the word of God. You know, just because there may or may not be a paycheck or there may or may not be 40 hours a week, granted, it's, it's more than that, there's a weight of responsibility. You know, I'm glad that Pastor Tony is the senior pastor of this church, and I'm just one of the guys in the back rowing. Um, you know, I, sometimes I have this picture, uh, it's kind of funny and humorous, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way or anything, but I feel like Tony's at the front of the boat, and he's getting hit by all the waves, and I'm just kind of getting the little splashes at the back of it, kind of like you go down the log flume, and the guy in front gets wasted, and the guy in the back's like, oh, my pocket's wet, oh, this is horrible, and they're complaining the rest of the day, meanwhile, the guy in front's like soaking wet, like walking around like this with his shoes like squashing, and I feel like that's Pastor Tony, and you know, he, I'm thankful that God has him in this office and that I'm able to serve with him and underneath him in a sense because he's a, I'm not trying to puff him up, but he's a great guy. And I think that, you know, if God had me at the helm of this ship, you know, we'd be in sore trouble. <laughs> you know, we'd be meeting at Wendy's or something up the street. But, and don't worry, I'm not going to do that. There's not going to be a church split from that. But, but really, I've been reading this book, too, called Dangerous Calling. And even if you're not a pastor, if you're in ministry, in any type of ministry, it's a book for pastors, but it can relate. I encourage you to read this book called Dangerous, Dangerous Calling. And I haven't even finished it yet because, you know, to find time to read is hard. So when I do, it's the Bible. But it is a dangerous calling. It looks easy. It looks like you just get up here and crack a few jokes and, you know, keep looking at your watch and have three closings. But it's really hard. There's a way to it. You know, there's not a moment that there's not, and not like the burden of the Lord, like, oh, man, I can't believe God's got me here. But really, wow, there's stuff going on in your lives. We hear about it. There's stuff going on in the church or other churches. Or, and it's just, and it's good. You know, we're glad to do it if it's easy or hard. But it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not all like a cakewalk, I guess. But it's worth it, and we love it. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have any other way. But Hebrews 5, 4 through 5 says, says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten to you. You know, it has to be God who's calling you in the ministry. Because otherwise, you're going to fleece the flock. It's going to be a burden. And you're going to mess it up even more than you would if God was calling you. <laughs> this is true. 
But really, it has to be God. Just like God appointed Aaron to be the priest and Moses to be the mouthpiece, in the same way, God has a calling for every one of you and I, whether it's, you know, some pastors, some teachers, some apostles, some prophets, some, some administrators, some, all that whole gamut that we see in Scripture. Each one of us is one of those things, and some of us may be the same things. Some of us are worship leaders. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are children ministry workers. But make sure it's God calling you because, you know, you'll be, you'll be out of place. You'll be out of place. And trust me, even when God does call you, you won't feel ready for it. And that's kind of how you know it's God. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, Christianity is not a cakewalk, even inside the four walls or 12, whatever we have in here, of church. You know, there's a lot of persecution that comes from even inside the church, whether that's direct persecution I can't believe he taught on money. Or I can't believe, you know, they just took three days off and went out to a pastor's conference and I needed to meet with them. And all these other things that, you know, I'm not saying any of you guys do that, but I'm just trying to make examples here. Um, but that when you do the right thing as a believer, you'll be persecuted and sometimes by other believers, whether they mean well, you know, maybe they feel like they need to say it to you and it's the right thing, or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just in the flesh. But Paul and Barnabas were being persecuted by believers. They were saying that they should be working even though others aren't. And the gift of criticism is not a gift. You know, it's not a spiritual gift. You know, I didn't make that up, but seriously. I think a lot of us, especially in the Northeast, have the gift of criticism. You know, spiritually pointing fingers, Monday morning quarterbacks. But check this out. You know, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but most criticism comes from those who do nothing. You know, how many people criticized the Super Bowl? But what did you do? Well, they were out there running, beating each other up, and the effects of getting in, like, four car crashes or whatever it is for playing one football game, and you ate, like, a whole bag of Doritos and some chicken wings. <laughs> and you got all this criticism for that guy who couldn't run faster. <laughs> you know? It's true, and I think we do the same thing to each other. You know? I'm not going to go there. But money is not a factor in godly success. Paul was broke. Paul was naked. Paul was beaten up. Paul was shipwrecked. Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay my head. That doesn't sound rich to me. Godly fruit is the success. John the Baptist was eating locusts out of his beard. Thankfully, there's no locusts in my beard that I know of. And if you ever see one, tell me. But really, godly fruit is. You see someone who's poor and broke with a a fruitful ministry, they know where their real wealth is, and that's in heaven, because this life is almost over, gang. I just stole that from somebody, but this life is almost over. So even if it's not for 80 years, (laughs) you're never going to think about this life ever again. You know, give me a break. 10,000 years into eternity, we're going to go, remember 1978? I won't say that, because I wasn't born. But I'm never going to go, remember 1985? Man, that year was great. Reagan was in office, and... The milk was flowing like honey and, you know, no. We're going to be, heaven, God, you're awesome. This is fantastic. So why do we care so much about what we got here? I know why. I care too. I'm not saying I'm above it, but real quick, in Matthew 6, I'm not going to do the whole thing here, Dustin, but Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, therefore godly riches. And he goes on to say, we all know this part. 
Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. And he goes on, says that your father knows you need these things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. He's saying, hey, I know you got these problems, but don't worry about that. God will take care of you. It just may not be the way you think it is. That bill might not get paid on time. A lot of times in Christian life, especially in ministry, check this out, we will seem to have a lack. Um, You know, case in point, not to harp on it, but we have furniture at home, and we love our furniture, and most of it was free. I think I paid like 150 bucks for my bed set 10 years ago, and I got like a computer table. Like everything else was like people gave it to us. And we love it, you know, like reclines, and it's fantastic, and it was free. Someone might come in and say, oh, man, that, that furniture doesn't really match. We go, we don't care. It was free. <laughs> That's $800 I spent on other things, <laughs> um, like vacation or clothes or food or whatever. Um, and I, you know what I mean? So to someone who is caught up in worldly wealth, they might say that's a lack. I say, that's not a lack. I say, that's a need being met. Now, if you have a really nice couch that you want to give us, hey, double bless the pastors. <laughs> no, if you, have a, if you have a Jeep or a bike, there we go. <laughs> but really, God likes to show up in lack. God lets us go through times of lack. Why? So that he can be the answer to our need. So that he can meet the need. You know, if we never lacked anything, we would never really probably pray myself included, you know? Um, But really, let's go on before you guys stone me. Uh, Let's go on. (laughs) Verse 11. We're not going to make it through this thing. I'll stop somewhere. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Which is greater, spiritual or physical? Spiritual. Temporal or eternal? Eternal. Yeah, I had to look up those words too. It's okay. But, <laughs> but which has more effect or effect on your life? Spiritual things? Or physical? Spiritual, right. I mean, sometimes it feels like the physical things have more of an effect on our life. Like, I don't have this thing, so I can't do this thing that I need to do because I don't have this thing which is preventing me from whatever. So sometimes it has this real short-term effect. But really, in the grand scheme of things, you know, just because you didn't have the new pair of, you know, Uggs, when you get to heaven, you know, you're not going to need them. You're not going to need them. It has a greater effect. And I think the sad part is, when those lesser things, those lesser great things, get in the way of the really great things, the spiritual things, when our physical problems keep us away from God, when we say, oh, God doesn't love me because of some physical thing. It's not the case. It's not the case. It may seem like it. You know, how many times when we were a kid, Dad didn't let me go out to see that movie. Well, yeah, it was a horror flick, and you were eight years old, so he was doing you a good thing. You didn't have that thing you wanted, but... Your father or your mother, whoever didn't let you do that thing, was probably looking out for you. You know, uh, Matthew 9, I'm not going to read it for time, but it's where the paralytic man is there. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And 
this guy was probably expecting to be healed. Like, hey, how come he didn't let me walk? You know, he just forgave my sins. And Jesus said, hey, to prove that I have the power to forgive sins, which is more powerful, I'm going to do the simple thing and heal you so that you get up and walk. Now, for Jesus, for us, it's impossible to do either. I mean, maybe with medicine, we might be able to get him back to walk a little bit. But with Jesus, he said, hey, I'm going to do the more important thing first. You all thought it was to make him walk, but I just forgave his sins, which was more important. And Jesus wasn't bluffing about his sins being forgiven. You could think, that's the easy one. Oh, yeah, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> you know, there's no proof, right? Well, the fruit is the proof. Because if our sins are forgiven, there's going to be fruit for my life. And maybe that might mean walking again. That might mean your life was in a rut, you were in a ditch, and you were six feet under, and you just wanted to kill yourself. Jesus came into your life. All of a sudden, whatever thing you're trying to kill yourself with goes away. You see that, oh, I can get out of this ditch. It's not as deep as I thought it was. And you continue walking in life. You go from being washed up, burnt out, out of a job, no friends, to walking with God. More friends than you can count. More blessings in your life than you can count. And you still may be broke and poor. But your life, now you're walking again. Why? Because your sins were forgiven. Not because God gave you a check. You know, which was harder, you know... Jesus, for him, the spiritually hard thing was the cross. It was Gethsemane. That was the point why Jesus came, was to die a tough physical death on the cross to take care of our impossible spiritual need. You know, mental illness, depression, sickness, sometimes can have a spiritual root. I'm not saying, you know, stop taking your meds. I'm saying maybe stop taking your meds. I'm not depressed anymore. Because of Jesus. When I stray from Jesus, I get a little depressed. And I go back to him, it goes away. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you can't have a chemical imbalance or you don't need those things. Just in the same way, you might have, like, a bad back. Or like me, I've had bad teeth, so I've been taking ibuprofen, you know, out the wazoo. And thankfully, I got the tooth pulled, so I don't need to do that anymore. You know, I go from having a bad tooth to having, like, a bad liver. But (laughs) But really, you know, sometimes medicine is important. And I thank God for modern medicine. I mean, in a sense... That is part of God's blessing on our society, that we've had this freedom based on godly principles where we can build up our medicine, where we weren't so busy about keeping out invaders and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, where we go to med school, not me, but people who go to med school and figure out how to do these things. I'm thankful for that. Now, I don't think we need to be dependent on them, unless, of course, you have an actual chronic illness that needs it, and there are those things out there that God may not decide to heal. But really, if we're willing to pay a doctor, if we're willing, willing to pay that that chiropractor, I was going to say something, but if any of you are chiropractors, no offense. But really, or you pay like, you know, like the podiatrist, like what doctor goes to school and says, I'm going to study feet, you know? (laughs) Really, if we pay these guys for physical things, they they take away our physical ailments slightly, why do we think that we should not pay those who take care of our spiritual needs, who pray for us, who counsel us, who take weird phone calls from us in the middle, from you in the middle of the night? Ooh, you show up at the door at 4 o'clock in the morning with the biggest problem, Fluffy stuck in the quicksand. <laughs> and help me. You know, and I think sometimes we go, no, I ain't paying you. I'm not paying you. I'm not tithing because I, whatever, whatever beef we have with God. But really, I'm not saying that, you know, it's like you go to like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whatever you call it in the world, whichever one you go to, um, and they'll be like, $200 an hour? Our time's up. How, how many times have you met with a pastor 
or even someone else in leadership, or even just a friend or your spouse, like four in the morning, crying your heart out, and they never said, time's up. I mean, maybe they did. <laughs> I might. But really, no. And then they never said, uh, well, I'll be sending you an invoice. No. Maybe we should. I don't know. Maybe you'd take it more seriously. Maybe you'd take the advice more seriously if you had to pay for it. <laughs> but really, what's more important? You know, I mean, you look at rich ministry, and we're going to go a little over here, so... You can leave if you want. But rich ministries versus poor ministries. It grieves me when people genuinely seeking God, like that grandma at home who flips on the TV, genuinely seeking God because she can't get out of her house, turns on the TV and sees a guy asking for her to put money on a credit card. If I get that upset, how much more does God get upset? I mean, granted... That guy and me will both stand before God one day and we'll both have to give account for what we were given and what we did for it. But, whew. It's kind of like, you know, you want to go, I don't know if I want to go before him or after him in line. You know, is God going to be, you know, <laughs> more leaning on me if I go before, you know what I mean? But it's just, wow. And it's sad that most of the ministries on TV, not all of them, not all of them, but most of the ones that you see and hear about, and the most of the ones where the world gets their idea of what Christians are like are these whack guys and crazy and not real and that's not in the Bible and you totally just twisted that. But it also grieves me when I see hardworking ministers not be paid enough, overly criticized and run into the ground by who? Ungrateful sheep, you and me. You know, how many times have, you know, did I call Pastor Owen back in the day or do I text Pastor Tony or whatever? Not that it should be done for the sheep, but for the Lord. But if we really love the Lord, who's, our, who's all of our leader, shouldn't we love the leaders that we have on earth? Not that, you know, we'd respect them or worship them like we would the Lord, but shouldn't we love them too? Why do, why do we hold leadership in some different example, in some different spotlight than we do each other or we do ourselves? Not that this, like I said before, that this office or any public ministry doesn't require some sort of accountability more than the average, you know, churchgoer or Christian. But seriously, why do we hold them different? And I really hope that, you know, when I'm poor and the times I'm poor or that other pastors are poor, that we don't cry to you guys. That we cry to the Lord because, like, I think that song said, you know, the Lord hears our cry. And, hey, we can cry to each other, you know. We can tell each other our needs. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great when, like, an envelope comes into the church and there's no, like, return address on it. You know, it's dropped in tithe box. It says, for so-and-so. And inside, there's money. And then that person goes, wow, I had a bill to pay and I was praying and this showed up. That's happened to me on several occasions. And I'm not saying I have that need now. But I'm saying I remember those times when I was out of work and only a few people knew and I didn't have any money for gas. And I'm in church going, God, I don't have money for gas. I can get home, but how am I going to do anything else? And money shows up with my name on it. My wife and I got some envelope in the mail a couple months ago with money in it. They didn't even get my address right. It was like Tim Chanelli, you know, something, 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 something. And like the po- you could tell the post office guy was like, uh, I'm going to try this address. <laughs> and I opened it. And I'm kind of like, I haven't. I didn't know what was in it. And I'm kind of wondering, do I need to take out my knife and put on a mask and open it? Is there going to be like, you know, anthrax in here? <laughs> like, what is this? Because it was like an envelope within an envelope. And I opened it, and there was money in it. I said, oh, Lord. You know, I'd been so worried about something. I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. 
If it was that as any of you guys, don't tell me it was you, but good grief. Like, the Lord does such great things if we would just but let him. You know, isn't that the reasonable service we see in Romans? 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, could it be that we're lacking because we're lacking in giving? No, I'm not saying get out your credit card, we'll go swipe it in the office after here. <laughs> uh, maybe. No. <laughs> no. But I'm saying, sincerely, are we lacking in giving because we're lacking in receiving because we're not giving? Now, I'm not saying give $10,000 and God's going to double your deposit. No, you may never see $10,000 ever again in your life. But when you get to heaven, you may have a large reward. Now, I'm not saying give until you can't pay your bills unless God tells you to. I'm not saying how much to give. 10% should be your minimum. But seriously, that's not the law. Really, test God. This is the one area that God says, test me in, because I'll show you. And I find the times that I haven't tested God, I've been hurting. And the times that I have said, all right, Lord, you want it, you can have it. I haven't been hurting. That's all I have to say. I'm not saying that it's always, it's not saying that just because I tithe, I'm always in financial blessings. You know, I go home and I jump on a bed covered in money. And, you know, it doesn't happen at all. Lord? (laughs) You know, Malachi 3 says, Well, man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have you robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. I think that's for America. You wonder why we're in such a recession? We have so many problems? It's because we turned from God and we said, Hey, rack up the credit cards. <laughs> money doesn't need to be real anymore. What? Printing more money is not going to fix it, guys. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. Earth can't hold all the blessing God's, God has for you, but heaven can. I encourage you, pray, seek the Lord, but seriously, give, even when you're in lack, even when you feel like you can't, oh Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. Well, God knows. God knows how you're going to pay it. God will take care of it. And God might even say, hey, Stop doing this other thing and eventually be able to pay for it, you know? Like, we switched from one cell phone provider because I realized I'm basically buying a used car every year for two cell phones. There's got to be something cheaper out there. And there is. (laughs) And the service is the same. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm not getting a kickback from them, so I'm not going to say their name up here. It's not going to be like, you know, an ad up here next week. But maybe, Tony, should we meet on that? (laughs) Just teasing. But he says that the Old Testament, the Old Testament feast offerings that the priests were cared for by you brought your offering into the, into the Lord to sacrifice it, and there were certain offerings that got put into like a stew. And in fact, some of the priests got in trouble with the Lord because they were like, "Well, I'm going to take the you know the sirloin out of there, and I'm going to take everything out of there for myself," and that's fleecing the flock. But the priests live by it. You know, it's like if 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 I had to work all day and all night, you know, this message would be even worse than it is because I would have had to study while I'm driving. You know, like I have the book. But really, tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's actually before the law. Why? Abraham tithed the Melchizedek. Because a lot of believers will say, show me tithing in the New Testament. I say, okay, here. (laughs) Or just read it. Or 
Jesus said, give everything. I'll say, you know, <laughs> you want to complain to me about 10%, I'll show you 100%. You know, the way it is. It's the way it is. Now, you know, we all go through seasons of hard times, so I'm not saying that you need to follow it by the law, but I'm saying test God. Test God. And why that there be food in his house, that the lights would be on, that the kids would have snacks, like Owen was saying, there would be, you know, I mean, God provided for those, but there, everything really, but that there were chairs in here. And I think, you know, sometimes we expect money just to show up out of heaven, and sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But God also wants to use us, you know, not just for this church, but for other ministries that bless you, other ministries that you're involved with. You know, um, just because I'm a pastor here doesn't mean that I tithe. In fact, if I didn't, I probably wouldn't be allowed to be a pastor here. Because if I'm not obeying the word of God, how could I ever expect anyone else to? And we'll stop there. We'll stop there. But really, when God gives us something, we need to be very, very careful with it. We need to be faithful with it, even if if it means saying things that aren't what we want to hear. And even if it means doing things that we don't want to do. There's plenty of times that I do things that I don't want to do that I know I should do. And there's plenty of times I don't, too. You know, I'll be honest with you. But really, if, if we are the church, and I think, you know, the, the thought hit me before, that, wow, you know, what, a, what an honor it is to be a part of God's church. It's not just we come here and hang out in Goshen every week, and we have friends here, which is great. But really, if you step back and look at it in the grand scheme of things, wow, the church was a big part of God's plan for the earth. The church is his bride, and wow, we get to call ourselves a part of it. We get to say, wow, I went to that church in Goshen wow, I got to serve these kids or I got to do whatever for the Lord? Wow, that's crazy when you really think about it. And we're all a part of it. We're all co-laborers in the Lord. So let's be careful with, God, with, God's, with what God has given us, whether it's the word, whether it's our family, whether it's our friends, whether it's our job, or whether it's with that thing that we hate to talk about, money. Why? Because God wants to use us. Not because as slaves he calls us friends, but because really, if the church doesn't stand up for what's right, if the church doesn't support the church, if the church doesn't be the church, who is? Well, probably that guy on TV or <laughs> that guy who got his um, uh, ordain, ordainment off of Google or something. And really, do we want that to be the real picture of the church or do we want us real believers to be the picture of Christ to the world? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I I just thank you that, Lord, it's true, and it's something that we can always turn to for truth, that when we open your Bible, um, God, you speak, and it's unavoidable, and there's things in there that you say that we can't quite dodge or say, well, maybe it means something else, but Lord, you're clear, and you're not the author of confusion or chaos, Lord, and we thank you for that. We uh, thank you for the cross, and Lord, for dying for us, and for rescuing us out of that miry clay, and giving us a way to walk and and caring for our spiritual needs and our physical needs. I pray that you would meet all our physical needs, God, in the way that you see fit. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see how you're meeting our physical needs and thank you for them because you do have the lights on here. You do have a place for us to meet. And we do have so many things that we take for granted a lot, God. And I pray you would forgive us for that and and help us to be better stewards of our money and of our time and, and more importantly, our relationship with you and our calling. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to hear from you and really... God, as you call us to step out for you, help us to do that, whether, no matter what it is, Lord. And I pray you just bless my friends and um, my fellow believers in here, God, that you'd use them mightily, Lord, that every moment of their life, God, um, would be a blessing to you. And my life as well, God, we need you. 
and we certainly can't do it on our own. So please go before us and help us to follow close. In Jesus' name, amen. So God bless you guys. Thanks for sticking around. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you.